0: Welcome to The Life of Christ Part 2 and Lesson 3. We're going to pick up where we left off in um, Chapter 5. We'll go back to the subtitle, The Birth of Christ, even though I know we've traveled on from there, uh, almost two pages. But let's begin there. Let me just read the scriptures. And uh, that will lead us to where we are and then we'll continue on from there. So I'm going to read in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. All right, it says Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Um, in Matthew 1 and verse 20. Verse 22, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child. And it says, and we went on from there, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. I quoted Leon Morris at that point and said that the quotation and the translation of the Hebrew name underlined the fact that in Jesus, none less than God came right where we are. And at the end of this Gospel, there is the promise that Jesus will be with us to the end of the age. God with us indeed. Now we're on to verses 24 and 25, I believe we left off there. Okay, so in Matthew 124. And it says then Joseph, Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. That is, publicly accepted Mary as his wife. So that's what that particular phrase means. And did not know her, meaning that Mary remained pure or untouched by man, okay, throughout her pregnancy, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he, that's Joseph, called his name Jesus. So in other words... Joseph married her, took her home, and lived with her for several months in a close, warm, loving relationship. Despite the obvious temptation to enjoy what was rightfully theirs, Joseph denied himself any sexual gratification because of his conviction that Mary should deliver the Messiah in the same state in which he was conceived. What a model of selfless grace. Joseph understood the risks, counted the costs, set aside his own rights, and willingly accepted Mary's difficulties as his own. Notice, however, the word till in verse 25. The Spirit-filled Bible says that the language indicates that Mary and Joseph did enter into normal marital relations following the birth of Jesus. We know this to be true because we actually are told in Mark six three that Jesus had brothers and sisters. Now, let me just stop there for just a moment, because, you know, people have always, you know, there's a certain side of Christianity that sees Mary as the eternal virgin. Uh, she wasn't. She, you couldn't have kids without not being a virgin. okay? And so, but it's very interesting uh, that it's said in Matthew 1.25 that he did not know her till she had brought forth her first son. Which means that Joseph did stay away from Mary and it was something godly was going on. He didn't want to put his hands on that. After that, it's been a whole year, you know, let's get on with life. So, and so we need to understand that, because if we don't see that, then we put Mary in a place she really doesn't belong, you know, as special as she was, and you know, and I did take time to point out that it took a lot of faith and a lot of courage to do what God asked her to do, all right, to say, be it unto me according to thy word, and then be able, you know, be pregnant without really having been married to Joseph and have that question mark sitting there as well. Will he take me? Because, you know, he knows this wasn't him. Okay, and the only other explanation it was somebody else. So, again, she, she didn't know that an angel was going to appear to Joseph. She didn't know any of those things were going to happen. Come on now, it's just in a normal life, do you understand? Um, all of that was just by faith. She just said, by faith, I'll do this. So we need to acknowledge that and we need to admire her for that. But we must be careful not to go beyond that. Amen? All right. Now, while Matthew concludes the birth of Jesus by simply saying, in Matthew one twenty-five, that she brought forth her firstborn son and Joseph, he called his name Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, it goes on to explain in chapter 2 verses 1 through 5, and it came to pass in those days. Those are the days of King Herod. Now, Luke is a physician, And he's very um, detailed in his writing, okay? I don't know if you know this, but he's the one that wrote both um, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. They were both penned by him. And when you put all of that together, basically he's written more than basically anybody else. A lot of people don't realize that. And he was a Gentile. People don't know that either, okay? So there's a lot of stuff that a Gentile wrote that got in the Bible. So praise God for that. Amen? You know what I'm trying to say? Okay, God doesn't look at any of that stuff. He never did. Alright, back to this. So again it says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the Roman world, that's not all the world, but the Roman world. Do you understand? Because you can't go tax people that he did not (laughs) know. So I put the word in there. Just to clarify that. That all the Roman world should be registered. Now this was a view to taxation that would occur every 14 years from this time on. In fact, people had a feeling this was coming. You know, Rome is waging war on several fronts. They're running out of money. So what do you do? Tax everyone. Hello. <laughs> okay. You just squeeze the populace and suddenly you have money again. Alright, and, and there was a lot of rebellion going on when this happened because they knew what was coming next. And they weren't so happy. Anyway. Verse two, this census first took place while uh, this guy, let's call him Q, not from Star Trek, all right, was governing yeah that <laughs> okay, was governing Syria. So this dates in about late December of the year five BC. Luke puts in details like this just to give us a timeline so that we know while that person was governing, then we can go back and look at when that guy was governing and get an idea of time because there's all these questions about is this a fairy tale, is this a fable, blah blah blah. There's so much in the Bible that nails down dates and places and you can't look at it and say it's a fable, it's just ridiculous. Chuck Swindle explains, On the Ides of March, 44 BC, Julius Caesar died at the hands of the same men who had declared him a god just two years earlier. All the dictator's wealth and power had become the birthright of his adopted son and sole heir, Gaius Octavius, who over a 20-year span transformed himself from a callow 19-year-old into the unrivaled leader of the Roman Empire. Eventually, he held the titles of uh, princeps, leading citizen, Pontificus maximus, high priest, and ultimately Augustus, supreme ruler. That's what Augustus means, by the way. You know, when the Augustus season. Yeah, that, means supreme ruler, all the while playing himself off as a humble, reluctant leader. But when Halley's Comet painted a blazing stripe across the night sky in the fall of 12 BC, Caesar Augustus made the most of it, claiming it was the spirit of Julius Caesar entering heaven. The superstitious Roman barely flinched when Caesar Augustus suggested uh, that he too should be worshipped. He, after all, was the son of a god. Historians call this period of time Pax Roma or the peace of Rome, but it was a brutal peace. And so it was during this time of mad dictators, economic oppression, political cruelty, and increasing terrorism by hot-headed zealots that Caesar Augustus declared that his entire realm should be subject to a census. With Luke chapter 2, verse 3 through 5 going uh, saying. So all went to be registered, everyone, to his own city. Now, MacArthur explains that this new universal census was allegedly to number each nation by family uh, and tribe, hence Joseph, a Judean, had to return to his ancestral home to register, but soon the names and population statistics gathered in this census were used for living of poll taxes. And the Jews came to regard the census itself as a distasteful symbol of Roman oppression. Verse 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David which is called Bethlehem. That's about a hundred and forty-five kilometer journey, just so you know, that's how far it was. Because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary. Now both Joseph and Mary were descendants of David. Therefore, they went to their tribal home in Judea to be registered. His betrothed wife, indicating that although, according to Matthew 124, Joseph had accepted Mary as his wife, the marriage was not yet consummated, okay? According to Matthew 125, because he said and did not know her. Um, so he says, in his betrothed wife, who was with child. Now the prophet Micah had already prophesied this over 700 years ago in Micah chapter five and verse two, and said there, "But you." Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Now, according to this centuries-old prophecy, Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem. Interesting, isn't it? With William Hendrickson now pointing out that for Joseph, the trip from Nazareth, I'll talk about this in just a minute, the trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem may not have been too strenuous, but for Mary in the final days of her pregnancy to ride this considerable distance, about 90 miles, by the roundabout way of Transjordan must have been exhausting. And if this trip was, to ma- uh, was made during a rainy season, a possibility we have no uh, right to discount, the stress and strain would have been even greater. So we don't know, the, you know what the season was like. We don't know what the weather was like. We don't know what the terrain was like. Uh, it was a long journey. This wasn't just down the road. So, you know, <laughs> okay. But interesting, isn't it, that so many years ago, it had been prophesied that the Messiah would be born in this place. The people, the religious leaders, are not going to look this up. They are not going to see that he was actually born in Bethlehem they're going to say, aren't you a Nazarite? And they're going to keep throwing this back at him. And all the time, he had, he had fulfilled every prophecy about the Messiah. And that's the reason why Matthew writes so much to let those people know, because he wrote to Jews to let them know, this was your king. He fulfilled every single prophecy. That's where uh, you know the Sermon on the Mount is as well. In Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, when, he, when Jesus said, I did not come to break the law, I came to fulfill every jot, every tittle. Which means from pre-birth, everything happened just the way it was meant to happen. Amen? Uh, so that's the reason why Jesus is going to um, tell him a, a parable about a, a vineyard and a husbandman who's going to, you know, he's going to rent out his field. He's going to send his servants to get money and they're going to kill them off one at a time. He's going to say, "Oh, but now I'll send my son. They will respect him. And no, they they didn't. Excuse me. Okay. And they killed him too. (laughs) Okay. And you know, this is when the Pharisees suddenly realize, oopsies, they're talking about us. Anyway, the (laughs) the whole point is that they didn't want to know. This is what can happen when you become really religious. You don't want to know the truth anymore. You want religion to serve you. Listen carefully. You want to use it as a leverage to get things from people, which is what was so different to what Jesus was doing. See, this is the reason why when we get to, you know, when he starts us to preach and they say, and it says they were astonished, the reason was that while the, 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 the scribes and the Pharisees, mainly, the, the ones that did all the teaching, whenever they taught, it was for their benefit and they'll ramble on about nothing half the time. And everybody just go home crushing their head going, I don't know what the guy said today. All right, but at least we went to temple or whatever, you know, to synagogue, you know what I'm saying? But when Jesus got up to speak, oh my goodness, he'd start talking and he'd say, and so, you know, there was a woman and she lost a gold coin. And so she went looking all over the house and they're going, whoa, yeah, that's what I did. Yeah, in mouth, I remember when I lost my coin. Yeah, that's right. Because a lot of times I reckon he was preaching through prophecy. He didn't just preach stuff, you know, a lot of times I'll preached things. And I've just got an idea and a thought in my head. And somebody comes and says, how do you know what happened to me? I said, I didn't know it until you told me. I had, don't, don't jump on to me, man. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> you know? Uh, Some for good, some for not. You know, but, <laughs> uh, but the thing is, a lot of times your preaching is prophetic. You know? and, and God will speak to you. And those, those are the really good messages because they really hit home. And people feel like they've been addressed and they, they've, been, they've been seen. God has seen them. God has acknowledged that they have these situations, and somebody got up and preached. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Uh, and so I, I just honestly believe when Jesus opened his mouth and started teaching, who knows? Remember, he's God as well. You know, at one point we're going to find out, it's going to say that nobody needs to tell him anything about themselves. He knew all men. He just knew what was in your heart. You know, that's why sometimes he'll be talking, and he, he knows of what the Pharisees are thinking, and he'll answer them before they open their mouth. You know, <laughs> so... You just don't know. Take nothing for granted. When you, when you ever read something that Jesus says, don't take anything for granted. Okay, When he tells a story, I'll bet you almost money that that wasn't just a story. Something was going on. Okay, Everything had purpose. Every time he opened his mouth, there was purpose behind it. So anyway, let's get back to this. Let's go to Luke 2.6, I believe. That's where we left off. So it was that while they were there, The days were completed for her to be delivered. So this verse stresses the fact that Jesus was indeed born in Bethlehem while they were there, it said. Amen? That The time of birth was normal, okay, also is one thing, approximately nine months after the miraculous conception. So he wasn't a freak child or anything. It wasn't like three weeks later, there's a kid. Interesting, isn't it? Well, you have to take all this into consideration, you know, because we think, well, he was the son of God. Yeah, but it still took nine months. What's interesting is that, as Chuck Swindle points out, Caesar Augustus thought this exercise of power would give him greater control of the world. But in the end, all he did was run an errand for God. Remember again? Because he said, let everybody be taxed. So this basically caused Mary and Joseph to go where they needed to go. So Joseph and Mary lived in Nazareth, but the prophecy said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So thanks to Caesar, he was. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 7. Let me stop there for a second. God always sees the beginning from the end. You know what I mean? So he looks at it and he goes, if you do this, I can see where it's going to end. Alright? If you do this, I can see where it's going to end. So a lot of times, he's watching over you in ways that you have no idea. Same with me as well. And so I have learned now that even things that sometimes look at the time to be sort of a step back, Later on, I've looked and thought, oh, thank God it happened the way it did. I have gained greater insight into it only when I look back on it, never when I was there and going through it. Amen? Unless, and, and then that's the reason why we are to walk by faith and not by sight. You know, a lot of times you don't get stuff like that, it's, it's a constant thing. That's the reason it says that the just shall live by faith, it's meant to be our lifestyle. Amen? And you know, so, much, so, many, so many of the things that we think, Oh God, if you don't do this by this time, then dot, dot, dot. God doesn't know that. God's not a God of, oh no, did I miss that one? <laughs> okay, It's never like that. Frustrating as it might be for us sometimes, it's always in His time. Everything is in His, only if you pray. Do you hear what I'm saying? So I know for the people that I hear, this is, I'm telling you this, I know you pray. So everything that happens, just watch for what God is up to. Sometimes we're rebuking the wrong person. You all hear? We think it's the devil and sometimes it's just God. Some days it is the devil and you need to rebuke. Okay, Jesus had the storm, he knew he was in God's will and that storm shouldn't have been there. Are You all here? But just watch for those things. Especially if you're rebuking, nothing's happening, check check, and see, you might be rebuking God. All right, back to this. Verse 7. And so thanks to Caesar, she brought forth her firstborn son. All right, now notice it says firstborn, meaning that she did go on to have other children. All right, this time with Joseph, according to Matthew 13:55, And there's a scripture down there. In fact, let's just quickly read. Look down the bottom to your footnote. It says there, is this not the carpenter's son? Is, is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? So he had sisters as well, by the way. I just want to know how many were in the family. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been nice to know how many Jesus grew up with. So again it says, And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Okay, Those are just strips of cloth wrapped around and around tightly and securely. All right, this is still a custom in eastern countries today. And laid him in a manger uh, because there was no room for them in the inn. Possibly because so many people were returning to this ancient town to register in, uh, in the census. Remember, again, they're all coming to pay okay, to, for, for this census. So, what we have here is God Almighty, born in the most humblest of situations, with William Hendrickson saying, it cannot be emphasized too strongly. That our Lord was born in a stable, possibly in a niche carved out in the cave wall, uh, connected with the inn. All right, we're not sure. That was one of the theories. And was laid down in a manger that is a feeding trough for animals. Furthermore, it takes a little imagination to see Joseph putting some straw into that manger so that the baby would be able to rest in comfort. It's important that we see something here. Remember it said that for our sakes he became poor that through his poverty, we might be rich. Just because he was born into this circumstance and in this way, it doesn't mean we have to. The whole point is that since he did, we shouldn't. Do you hear what I'm saying? A lot of people miss that. They take that as an equivalent of, because, oh, humble Jesus, and we want to be like him, so we'll all go and get born in stables, and we'll all have straw stuck under us. And, you know, <laughs> you know? no, okay? I mean, people want to be like that. That's what they should do. They always talk, uh, talk but you know, at the end of the day, they don't do it. And, and you know what? You need to understand that God sees us as his kids. All right? And he wants the best for us. We have to learn not to become covetous and put our eyes on the stuff He's giving us. So we need to know that we are God's kids, the King's kids, who need to be generous, loving, and kind. Amen? And just the way that God is willing to give everything to us, we need to be willing to give everything out. It's meant to be, as we receive, we give, we bless, we do what we need to do. Amen? So as, as we read through this, understand something. Jesus did all this so that we could do and have better, but also not just for us, so that we could do better for others as well. We can say to them, "You don't have to be in this situation. God's already paid enormous price for you to get out of this. So let's get out." Amen. All right. So anyway, Chuck Swindle said, "The birth of Jesus. Listen to this. Okay, the birth of Jesus was an invasion, a benevolent takeover." Where everyone and everything in the world must be transformed. Also, of great significance is that following the birth of Jesus, it wasn't to the religious leaders in Jerusalem that the angels announced that something miraculous and wonderful or wondrous had taken place, but to lowly shepherds, with Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14 saying, Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields. Let me stop for a minute. We need to understand something. God isn't looking for hierarchies, isn't looking for titles, Is not looking for now which one has the biggest church. Let's go in and you know, tell them this. Listen to what I'm saying, please. He's looking for who has the right heart. They might have a big church, that's, but that's never the issue. Who's got the right heart? Who can handle this information? Who wants to know? It says, they were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. These guys have no idea anything huge is about to happen. You know, it's just like, hey Jack, hey Joe, how's the sheep? Yeah, good. Mm-hmm. How's yours? Yeah, good. <laughs> Let's eat our lunch, okay, quietly. <laughs> okay, now, you, know, you know what I'm trying to say? These are guys just out in the field. Okay, they don't have the Jerusalem times, they don't have iPads and iPods and whatever. You know what I'm trying to say? You know, they're just out there. They're simple folks sitting out there watching their sheep. That was not a big profession, by the way. People glamorize it. It's terrible. They stink. They're, you know, it's the last thing on the list. That's the reason why David had that job. He was the last in the line of kids. You remember? Okay, the one that took Goliath's head off, alright. He was watching sheep. It wasn't glamorous. It was the worst. It was like toilet cleaning. Okay, that was the worst job you could get, basically. And that's what the brother said, go back to your little sheep. Get get out of here. What is wrong with you? Okay, that was an insult. That was not like a go back to the sheep. The lambs of God. No. Okay, it wasn't anything like that. Alright, so let's get back to this. So now they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. You almost want to sing it, don't you? <laughs> right. Now the sheep were kept out in the open between March and December. Therefore, the traditional date for the birth of Jesus is not ruled out, which is around December. Okay? People have said it wasn't, but we can't rule it out. We're re- learning now it could very well have been in that time period. So it's cool. Okay, December is cool. Not a problem. Verse 9, because people get so upset over stuff like that. Nobody knows. Who cares? Okay. All right. And behold, Mealing all of a sudden out of nowhere, an angel of the Lord, holy, strong, and brilliant, stood before them. And the glory of the Lord, the manifestation of God's presence and power. Okay, that's the glory of the Lord shone around them. Can you imagine what's going on now? All right, this is like a UFO landed on their head. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Okay, and they were greatly afraid. I guess so. This is not something you see every day. All right, bright lights. Today if that happened, they'd go UFO. Back then, it was angels. (laughs) Okay. Verse 10. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Don't you love that? It wasn't to all Jews. Thank God. I know I make a point of this every so often, but you guys need to see it, because it is important. And I don't want anybody to ever say to you that you know, oh, if you're born this way or that way, you have an advantage. There is no advantage. If you're human, that's it. That's the greatest advantage you can have. Alright? You're in the category of God and His image and His likeness. Okay. So, he said again there, which will be to all people. So once again, notice that these good tidings of great joy are to all people, indicating the whole world, not just a selected chosen few, which begs the question. Were these shepherds, Jews, or Gentiles? never says. All right. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, I mean Luke 2.11, which is Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ. All right. Christ means anointed one or Messiah, the Lord. So finally, here was the promised Redeemer of Genesis 3.15 that would come and crush the head of the enemy. Can you imagine the celebrations in heaven right now? These angels are coming on assignment, but they are excited. Okay, they are not just saying, oh, this is what's happening. Are you kidding? These guys are going, finally! Something was taken from us and we're getting it back. Remember Daniel prayed and took 21 days, okay, for the angel to get through? They were having a lot of trouble since Adam and Eve messed up. Okay, it was a lot of fighting going on and finally, here he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's on the scene, finally. and Because he, we're going to see, as soon as we run into a, a devil, the first time a devil is going to meet Jesus, he's going to say, oh, I know, you're the Holy One of God. If you come to destroy us before the time? He's going to say, shut up and get out. That's the short version. Okay? But, you know, that's, I want you to think about that when you think about what the angels are doing right now. They're going, he's... He got in. That was a big thing, man, for him to get in. So, here was the promised redeemer, all right, of Genesis 3.15 that would come and crush the enemy. Verse 12, uh, Luke 2.12 And this will be not just a sign, but the sign to you. Okay? It's, notice they're giving him a, they're giving, they are giving the shepherds a sign. They're saying, we're going to give you a sign to so get this right. Don't want you to go and picking up the wrong baby. You know what I'm saying? Okay, <laughs> He says, you'll find a babe wrapped in, a, in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. You're not going to find a lot of babies tonight in swaddling cloths in a manger like this. Interesting, isn't it, that he stood out? By the very thing that caused him not to be able to get a proper room and everything else and be like everybody else, he ended up standing out so that the shepherds would know. And you know something else? Wouldn't it be interesting? I mean, if it was in some high palace thing, they, sh- they wouldn't let shepherds in there. They stink. They'll go, excuse me? Who are you? Amen. But you know what? Here, everybody was welcome. Amen. God, something. Amen. Isn't God something? All right. That's why I said, you know, sometimes we'll look at things and we say, why God? There's always a reason. All right. So, Hendrickson says there, well, oh, we have to stop soon. I'll just keep going because there's nowhere to stop at the moment. We'll have a shorter session next time, okay? Next time. All right, Hendrickson says there, well, may have been other newly born swaddled babies in Bethlehem, but this was the only swaddled infant that was lying in a manger. The sign was therefore definite and helpful. All right, let's stop there, and we'll pick up at Luke 2.13 in the next session. Take a break.